Are you a parent who wants to know more about how to care for children who have experienced trauma? Are you a foster or adoptive parent who needs strategies for how to deal with some of the most common trauma behaviors in your kids? Are you wondering what in the world we even mean by trauma behaviors? Well, then we are so glad you're joining us for today's episode. I'm your host, Katie Morgan, and welcome to Parenting with Ginger Hubbard. Ginger is the best-selling author of Don't Make Me Count to Three, Wise Words for Moms, and I Can't Believe You Just Said That. She speaks at women's events, parenting conferences, and homeschool conventions across the country. You can check out her parenting resources and find out when she's speaking in or near your area at gingerhubbard.com. If you enjoy this podcast and find it encouraging, would you prayerfully consider partnering with us by making a monthly or even a one-time donation? Whether it's a dollar a month or $20 a month, your support helps to sustain this podcast and keep it on the air. If you feel led to partner with us, just go to gingerhubbard.com support to donate any amount. And thank you listeners for your support, which enables us to further our mission to help parents reach the hearts of their children for the glory of God. If you're a homeschooling mom like me, then you know the excitement of peeling that protective film off a set of curricula complete with brand new lesson plans. But as we all know, a week or so into those plans, life happens. Someone gets sick, someone leaves their spelling book at the soccer field, someone gets stuck on a math concept, and suddenly those lesson plans are completely obsolete. This is one of the many reasons I'm excited to introduce you to the BJU Press Homeschool Hub. When life inevitably happens and our plans change, the Hub calendar makes any necessary assignment adjustments with just a few clicks of a mouse. But that's not all it can do. I can look at the Hub dashboard and quickly see how my kids have progressed through their courses, what assignments they need to finish, and how many lessons they have before each course is completed. There's also a grade book that will track graded assignments and create report cards. My favorite part is that I can keep track of our wonderful BJU press courses as well as any other outside resources. So I have one tool that keeps track of everything. It's almost like they asked a bunch of homeschoolers, hey, what's the most stressful part of homeschooling? And then they developed an awesome tool to alleviate those issues. Next, I hope they'll get to work on the housekeeping hub. To find out more about BJU Press Homeschool Hub, go to BJUPressHomeschool.com and watch the video to learn more. Again, that's BJUPressHomeschool.com. Well, hey there, Ginger. I'm so excited to welcome back our guest, Sonia Martin. If you didn't hear our first episode with Sonia, you'll want to stop here and head back to episode 57 because she does a wonderful job of helping us to understand what happens to a child's brain when they undergo any sort of trauma, but specifically trauma caused by adoption or foster care. But this information that we're going to find out today can be applicable no matter the reason for the trauma. So if you heard that episode, I'm sure you're really excited to hear more from Sonia. So Ginger, why don't you introduce today's guest for us? Sure, I'd love to. Many of our listeners submitted questions to us about how to better parent foster and adoptive children. And to be honest, Katie and I were at a total loss because this is just not something that either of us has experienced. So we knew that we needed an expert to address these concerns, which is why Katie decided to reach out to uh, one of our show's earlier sponsors, which was Lifeline Children's Services. You guys may remember they were one of our uh, first sponsors. Lifeline's mission is to equip the 
body of Christ to manifest the gospel to vulnerable children. And they do that through adoption, foster care, orphan care, counseling and support, as well as courses and training relating to all of those areas. Our guest, Sonia Martin, joined Lifeline in July of 2019. She is from Montgomery, Alabama, just only an hour away from me. And she serves as Lifeline's director in the central Alabama area. Sonia earned her Bachelor of Social Work from the University of South Florida and her master's from the University of Alabama, which is the only problem that I have with Sonia. (laughs) And Sonia is the mother of seven teenage boys, three of whom were adopted internationally. She is also a foster parent for Montgomery County DHR. So given all that, I think it is fair to say that she is more than qualified to speak to us today about how to deal with some of the most challenging trauma behaviors. So Sonia, welcome back to our show. So happy to be back. Okay, so the last time we spoke, you gave us some wonderful insights into what happens in the brain of a child who has suffered neglect and abuse, and you helped foster and adopted parents shift from traditional parenting to a more therapeutic parenting approach. Again, listeners, that was episode number 57. If you haven't heard it, I very much encourage you to go back and listen. So, Sonia, for today, I'm really excited to hear your thoughts on some of the more common negative behaviors that foster and adoptive parents face when they open their home to children who have experienced neglect and abuse. You've spoken at length on six different behaviors, which I'm just going to list those right now. They're lying, cheating, stealing, manipulating, hoarding and violence or aggression. And we don't have time to address all six of those today, but that's okay, listeners, because Sonia has a phenomenal workshop that we're going to provide a link to in today's show notes for that episode, so you can find that there. In our previous episode, we discussed whether or not foster and adoptive parents should deflect negative behaviors or even delay discipline until parents have built that trust. Sonia, can you just briefly reiterate your thoughts on that before we dive into some other questions? Yeah, the essence of that therapeutic approach that we're going to be talking about is really not a delay or a deflection of discipline, but it is a high focus on connection. So really the framework being that instead of pouring all of our energy and focus into what type of punishment can I impute for this situation, (laughs) or let me ensure that I bring the hammer down, uh, what we are first going to do is approach this child in a spirit of connection because we do not have a pre-existing relationship with them. And that is really the defining marker. That lack of attachment is really what does differentiate our children that come to us from foster care adoption versus our children who come to us biologically. Mm. Well, Sonia, one of the reasons I was actually drawn to Ginger's resources and the reason many of our listeners tune into our podcast is because of the practical parenting advice that she gives. That's why I knew that you would be a fantastic guest on our show because you give actual tips that foster and adoptive parents can implement in their own homes starting today. Some of those you already gave in the other episode. So again, listeners, go back and listen to that. But let's start with one of the most challenging behaviors to understand and respond to, and that's lying. Mm, I have a very big, complex, fancy clinical answer for you. Are you ready? Get your pen ready. All right, here we go. If you've got a kid with a proclivity towards lying, stop asking questions. 
questions. <laughs> Stop asking questions. Stop framing things in the form of a question. So let me kind of exposit that a little bit for you. Let's say kid walks in the door, drops their backpack on the floor, and you can see that worksheet sticking out of the top of the backpack, and it is completely undone. Moreover, you've gone on your little school portal that day and found out, oh, look, they have homework. Kid walks in the door. What is the first thing that you say to that child? Do you yeah, have any homework? homework? <laughs> do you have homework? Did you do your homework? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. I did my homework. Huh. Really? You did your homework? Yeah, yeah. It's done. I had some extra time at lunch today. Huh. Okay. So you're telling me if I walk over right now and pull that worksheet out of your backpack, it's going to be done? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you don't need to check it. It's done. Okay. Game on, right? Mm-hmm. Then we walk over. We're angry, we're irritated, we yank that worksheet out of the backpack, and we hold it up in victory, and we say, liar, right? Go to your room, <laughs> you're not having any desserts, you know, now you're losing your privilege, all of these things. Well, if I may, I just set that kid up to fail. Hmm. I know he struggles with lying. I am understanding his history, and I'm knowing intellectually that lying is a survival strategy, especially from these kids from trauma. Yet I just asked him three, four, five successive questions. They will sooner perish than admit the truth to you. And if I may, understand the amount of vulnerability it takes to admit when you lie. Mm. Right? That's hard for adults. Mm-hmm. It's hard yep. for us to come to someone and say, hey, I just, I sincerely need to apologize to you. This is what I did. I was wrong. Right? We... It's difficult for us, yet we impute that on kids who have absolutely no skill set and have overwhelmingly, very typically, lacked a lot of that parental training and teaching that our biological children certainly have had access to over the course of years and years, yet they walk in and we set them up to fail. Mm. And so what I mean by that is we've got to keep our eye on the ball what do I need done in that situation? I need the homework done. So instead of, did you do your homework? I'm instead going to say something like, hey, sweet boy, hop up here. Let's have a snack and go over your homework together. You've been doing so good lately. I'm so proud of you. Mm. Now, hear what I did. Mm -hmm. Number one, I made a statement. I did not ask a question, but let me really break down for you what I just said that took all of what three, four seconds, right? I'm not trying to script anything that's terribly complicated for you. Hey, sweet boy, hop up here. Listen to my tone, first of all. Mm -hmm. Your non-verbal, well, it was a little verbal, but you're really, your non-word cues are incredibly communicative to these kids, Mm -hmm. to their brains, to the way that they are wired. So keep your tone light, keep it high. Hey, sweet boy, hop up here. Let's have a snack. I'm understanding that homework time can often be a source of stress. So what I'm going to do is pair that with food. You know, it's very common knowledge. We all know that food increases blood sugar. But what's a little bit less known is food equally decreases cortisol levels. Hmm. So in moments of stress or in moments of challenge in parenting, when we know something has the potential to go to sideways, consider pairing that with food. Because by doing that, you are biologically putting them in better balance. You're increasing blood sugar, you're decreasing cortisol. Hey, sweet boy, hop up here, let's have a snack and go over your homework together. I'm offering to partner with him. I'm not giving him a mandate of your homework must be done. I am communicating, baby, I am here for you. And then the last thing I'm saying is, I'm so proud of you. You've been doing so good lately. Y'all, 
I don't care if he has straight D's. Mm -hmm. I'm going to find something to affirm this child for. Mm -hmm. He is worthy in the eyes of the Lord. He is worthy in the eyes of me as his mother. So just by approaching a situation instead of, did you do your homework? Hey, sweet boy, hop up here. Let's have a snack and go over your homework together. You've been doing so good lately. I'm so proud of you. We are setting that scenario up for success. Mm, I love that. Let's be real, though. In that scenario, he's now going to have to say something like, oh, I'm almost done. I just need a few more minutes. Well, I know that's a lie because he hasn't even started. I can see the worksheet. But that is not the hill I'm dying on. Mm. I'm going to hop right over that and say something like, dude, no problem. How about 20 minutes? You and I'll sit together. High five and then move on. Mm. Are we not making a construct within the functioning of our home that is so much more likely to be successful, number one, but secondly, we're presenting in a way where everybody's not going to be so mad afterwards, right? <laughs> so the other way, they're mad because they lost everything. You're mad because they lied and everybody's just mad. Like, let's take a breath. Let's take a beat. Let's take a moment and see if we can bring about a better result. Mm. So it's just a matter of how you approach it and the way you word it. So you're not setting them up to lie because they're already going to be prone to that just because of everything that they've been through. So you're giving them the opportunity to approach it from a whole different standpoint to where they're not going to be tempted to even lie. The way that you worded that, that, that kind of takes away the temptation even to lie. That's exactly it, Ginger. Yes, well said. It's really just presenting all of this an entirely different framework with an understanding of their history. And that's vital. And it's not as though, hear me on this, intermixed between there or throughout our days, we can absolutely still be doing parental teaching and training on the virtue of honesty. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yes. We want that. Let's do that. But with our kids from trauma, imputing that at the moment of stress mm. oftentimes will cause their brain to fire up. And we've got a whole bigger situation now on our hands. Mm-hmm. I also love what you said about bringing food into it. And, you know, because food is comforting. That comforts us as well. Mm-hmm. I uh, encourage when parents are not used to getting their kids to spend time by themselves. I encourage when they're really young to teach them to have playpen time. And I always say that if you've never done that before, start it out with only like five minutes and start out with some juice and a snack. So you're starting out with a positive note. You're putting them in that playpen and, hey, let's have a juice and some and a snack here and let's play for a few minutes. And so it just kind of takes the negative connotations away from it from the start and, and gets it going on a positive um, on a positive note. So that's kind of what I hear you're saying there as well. All right. So another very common behavior with our kids from hard places is manipulation and the need for control. And I'm sure most foster and adoptive parents can understand why their children exhibit this behavior. You've explained that very well in this episode and the last one. But Sonia, can you offer some practical help that will teach them how to deal with it? Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, to your point, it is no wonder these children attempt to manipulate and control their circumstances. These are children that have never, never, never had a voice. They've never, never, never had a choice as to who they live with, when they get to see their mom, what school they now have to move to. Their entire day-to-day functioning is dependent on the choices, demands, and court decrees of others through which they have no voice. So it is no wonder that this is, again, one of those survival strategies that they will often impute to try to gain some control 
over their life. So number one, look at it through that lens. Mm. This is not a child who is plotting and scheming and intentionally trying to get under your skin and dictate the way you run your house. This is simply a reflexive response based on the trauma that they have been walking through. So one of the best ways that we can help to mitigate that a little bit is give frequent opportunities for healthy control. There's a very big difference between unhealthy control and healthy control. The way that I often like to describe it is if you want to put up a fence in your backyard, you as the parent are going to determine how wide and how long and what shape your fence structure is going to be in. And everybody within your family is free to operate within that fence. But that's the boundary that you have set. So within that fence post, we want to give some opportunities for some autonomy because that is also great for their developmental process. And this can be done, you guys, in very, very small ways. For example, if I've got, let's say, everything to make lasagna for dinner tonight and I've got everything to make tacos tonight, doesn't matter to me which one we have, I might think to myself, hey, this is a great quick opportunity to share some power, mm. to give some healthy control. Mm. So I might go seek out that child that's come to me through foster care and say, hey, sweet girl, I've got everything to make lasagna and I've got everything to make tacos. What do you think we should have for dinner tonight? Mm. Well, I think we should have tacos. Done. High five. Want to help me cook? Mm. Mm. I've just given her a voice. I've just given her choice, and I've shared that power with her, which is enormously healing in this process because she's going to feel heard. And when we can make them feel heard and valued in the small ways, we tend to mitigate and interrupt some of these bigger ways that they try to exert the unhealthy control. Hmm. Well, the great thing about many of these approaches is that they also apply to our biological children as well. I heard so mm -hmm. many things that you said that already I'm like, you know, I really could phrase yep. it that way <laughs> and make all, all of our yep. lives so much happier. Mm -hmm. uh, but of course, we need to require obedience and respect from our biological children, but we often jump to meet their level of disrespect. Like we're trying to fight fire with fire. And one of the biggest benefits of asking heart probing questions of our children, which is what we encourage our listeners to do here, is that it requires us, the grown up, to consider our own hearts as we discipline them. And I think that's the point you're making here, Sonia. So dragging these children, kicking and screaming into a place of obedience and respect is not going to bring about heart change. It might just encourage them to keep online or manipulating. So mm -hmm. I appreciate that your approach is to speak to these children the way Jesus spoke to anyone he encountered who was caught in sin. He would stop, he looked at them with compassion, and then he led them into a relationship with himself. Mm -hmm. So one of my absolute favorite authors, his name is Paul Miller, and uh, he wrote a book called Love Walked Among Us. And he said, you know, love isn't very efficient. It requires us to look, feel, and then help. And he says this, if we help someone but don't take the time to look at the person and feel what he or she is feeling, our love is cold. And if we look and feel but don't do what we can to help, our love is cheap. Love does both. And I just... Oh man, I love that whole mm -hmm. book and I love that quote. And I think it's helpful in this discussion to think of how Jesus would love these children who have experienced trauma. So one final behavior we can address today is one that you said is the easiest trauma behavior to solve. It's also one, truthfully, I find the most heartbreaking. And um, it just, it, it does break my heart to think of a child getting to a place where they need to do this. And that behavior is hoarding. So before you address this one, Sonia, 
Is hoarding, I have a quick question, is hoarding almost always associated with food or do some children hoard other things as well? Mm, Great question. So no, it's not always associated with food. By and large, it certainly is and will often be run concurrent with hoarding other things. Um, Now, what's really interesting and also equally frustrating for foster and adoptive parents is that the items that these kids choose to hoard makes absolutely no sense to us. Mm. Why do you need to hold on to the broken Happy Meal toy? Why do you need the... uh, nail that you found, you know, on the floor that's broken and bent. Why do you need an old shoelace that's dirty and broken and doesn't even fit in the new pair of shoes that you now have? It makes no conscious sense to us, but what we've got to realize is that doesn't matter. Mm. And that there that's not what's driving the behavior. The overriding theme and the overriding narrative that's occurring to them is Take what you can because you never know what you'll need. Hmm. Take what you can because no one else is providing for your needs. You must take care of yourself. You never know when you might need something. So just take anything that you can and hang on to it. So there's two different strategies, and I'll hit the food one in just a second, but let me stick to your question about other items. My biggest practical tip is to give that child a $5 bill and take them to the dollar store. And allow them, again, we're giving some healthy control. We've set the limit of $5, but we're giving them some choice and voice. Allow them to choose some sort of container. It can be a cute little plastic treasure chest. It can be just a little woven box. Whatever it is that delights their heart, allow them to choose that. And that gives them a space and an understanding of once this is full, I need to make some choices about what I really do need. Mm. Now, in the beginning, that container is probably going to need to be a little bit larger. And you can kind of scale down from there. But when we take that approach, rather than the minute their foot steps out of the door and gets on the bus to go to school and you go into their room and start tossing all of the quote junk, Mm. you are going to do nothing but exacerbate that behavior. I would say never, never, never throw it away without them. You can certainly have times, again, in this theme of connection, where you play some fun music together and everybody's in a very playful and upbeat spirit. It's not a time of stress. You can go in their room together and say, baby, let's make some piles. What do we want to give away? What do do you think we should keep in your special box? And what do you think maybe we could throw away in the trash? You do that together and you do it with that tone and with that approach, and you are likely going to have some success success in really getting a handle on that. But as it relates to food, food is primal. Food is foundational. And whether or not you have a child in your home whose file says that they had a lack of access to early food or not, yes, baskets are one of the best things that any family parenting a kid from a hard place can do. Really, essentially, a yes basket is simply a bowl, a bucket, a basket, doesn't matter to me, whatever it is, sits on your dining room table, but it is full of all healthy food. Bananas, apples, grapes, dried nuts, trail mix, cherries, whatever you would like to put in there, all healthy food. A couple of things I want to point out. Number one, it has to be visible. You cannot have a yes drawer in your pantry. You cannot have a yes shelf in the cabinet. The reason for that is because, again, as we talked about in the last episode, these kids' brains are constantly scanning their environment going, is this a threat? Is this a threat? Is this a threat? Am I safe? Am I safe? Can I eat? Can I eat? Mm. Right? These very primal needs that we have of food 
and safety and shelter unconsciously are running a script at pretty well all hours of the day through them. Because of the way that the brain works, their brain cannot compute, can I eat, can I eat, oh wait, if I open the third cabinet from the left and four shelves down, mm. I can have anything I want there, right? It doesn't work like that. It has to be visible so that as their brain is doing that scan throughout the day, it can land on that yes basket and go, can I eat, can I eat? Oh, wait, okay, we're all right. Mm. I can see food. Mm -hmm. So the second sense. thing I would say about the yes basket is it is always, always, always a yes, um, I have parents tell me all the time, but they will eat it all the first day, <laughs> to which I say, they will eat it all the first day, <laughs> and they may eat it all the second day and the third day, but I promise you, you do this and you do it right, meaning number one, it's always a yes, and number two, it never goes empty, and you will see this behavior start to dissipate. Y'all, I don't care if you are spooning the spaghetti sauce on the noodles and dinner is literally eight seconds away and that child walks over and gets a banana out of that yes basket. We're not going to sigh. Mm. We're not going to roll our eyes. We're not going to say, no, 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 man, come on. Just like dinner's right. No, we say nothing. It is just always a yes. And may I gently point out that so your child eats four bites less of their spaghetti tonight <laughs> because they just had a banana. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> can, we, can we just be okay with that, right? Yes. In the name of healing and perpetuating healing and safety in this child, can we just be okay with that? Mm. So yes, baskets can be extraordinarily valuable. Again, hear me. I'm not saying your entire kitchen is a yes kitchen. That they came from hard, so everybody gets to eat whatever they want. No, no, it is just central to this basket. Um, in the very beginning, I do encourage parents to give them, when they're giving them a tour of their home, to point out the basket. You know, this is your bedroom, here's the bathroom, and hey, dude, you see that basket over there on the table? Man, anytime you want, you just go for it. You don't have to ask. It's just always a yes, as much as you want, as often as you want. You wake up at two o'clock in the morning, it's there for you. It is always, always a yes. So that's my recommendation to start with. I will say that as they progress a little bit further, could be weeks with some kids, could be a couple of months with some kids, sometimes longer, depending on the history, we ever so slightly shift that. We can then come to that child and say something like, hey, bud, I'm so glad you've been enjoying your yes basket. Small change. Now, anytime you want something from it, baby, come ask me. And I'm always going to say yes. And you do always say yes. But what that does is it moves the needle just a little bit, and it brings about this sense of encouraging them that if they have a need, they can come to me, and I will say yes. I will mm. meet that need. Baby, you have a need, baby, come to me. You have a need, baby, come to me. You have a need, right? This is the cycle and the reciprocity of relationship that we want to get them engaged in. But in the very beginning, they do not have enough trust in you and enough relationship between the two of you to have any faith that you will actually say yes. So in the beginning, they do not even have to ask. And then as we work towards that healing, we change the game just a little bit. Mm, that is so good. I have a quick question about that. So is that yes basket accessed by anyone else in the family or is that literally just for that one child? 
Mm, great question. So this works great for everybody. It should not um, be designated just to that okay. child. That makes them isolated. Mm. It puts a spotlight on them. It can bring about some sibling animosity with other kids in the home. The yes basket becomes open to everyone, okay. which I feel like people want to throw things at me <laughs> when I say that sometimes, especially you know with some larger families, which I understand. But I promise after a few days, right, it's going to be the novel thing in the house for the first few days and People are going to be eating more fruit and dried nuts than they've had their whole <laughs> life. Um, but it's all healthy, so we don't care. But I promise after a few days, the only children that will continue to access it are going to be the children that need mm-hmm. it. And that's such a simple, simple thing, a yes basket. But it makes so much sense as to why that would uh, create healing in the heart of that child. Absolutely. I love that. Such practical, simple advice here that can just make such a huge difference in their little hearts. All right. I know we said one final behavior on that last one, but there's just one more behavior I'd like for us to talk about since it is possibly the most serious of the six behaviors that you address. Sonia, can you talk more about violence and aggression? Yeah, always the hardest. Um, And there's so much that we could go on for hours and talk about that. I will just say a couple of things specific to that. Number one, if you've got a kid who's prone to be rather aggressive, go heavy, heavy on the sensory items that we talked about in the last episode. We have simply got to try and get a hold of their brain enough to throttle that back before we can even really start to address and interrupt some of these more violent tendencies. Now, they do go hand in hand, but we've got to have an understanding of treating the biology at the same time that we're treating the behavior. It is a two-sided coin. If all we ever do is just treat the brain, for example, and we leave parents with absolutely no strategies as to the behavior, well, then we're not really serving the family well. But conversely, if all we ever do is troubleshoot different scenarios of aggression and violence and behavior, totally ignoring what's happening biologically, what's happening biochemically, we are not going to make a lot of progress. So we've got to be hitting this from both sides, both with the brain and body, along with behavior. So I would say go heavy on the sensory items. And secondly, be aware of your own level of interpersonal functioning. You know, Violence and aggression inside your home, it's targeted at you, especially if it's targeted maybe at one of your other children, can very easily provoke this sense of anger within us. Um, And so when we're engaging with these kids who are kind of a physical threat or maybe are being verbally aggressive, one of the highlights that we have to be mindful of is where am I as the parent at emotionally in this moment? Mm. We have to be willing to not escalate a situation. If my goal is to teach and train a child to throttle back, what I can't do is get in this posture of, oh, I'll show you. And, oh, you think you're going to say that to me. Well, now it's on, right? Mm. I know we don't typically talk that way, but, you know, we can sort of somehow find ourselves positioned that Mm -hmm. way. And that will do nothing but fan the flame Mm -hmm. of that. Um, much more to say on violence and aggression, certainly. But um, if it is a real threat in your house, for sure, we also want to make sure that everybody knows where their safe space is. This is especially helpful if you have younger children in the home. And for example, maybe have a larger teenager who is prone to be rather physically aggressive. We want to make sure that our younger children know where their safe space is. So practically speaking, that's probably one of the top tips. But again, I 
I hate to say, I can't go into all of that today. We would be here for five sure. and a half hours and then you would never invite me back. Again. <laughs> <laughs> well, that would, that's just a whole other episode. We'll yeah. have you back on just to talk about that one because it, that is a biggie. And it sounds like you have a lot of good uh, practical advice and wisdom for that. So we'll have to have you back on just to talk about that specific problem. For sure. And Ginger, you know, we've received a lot of questions from parents, not foster and adoptive parents, but parents who have struggled with violence in their kids. Mm-hmm. And yep. that's where my mind went is going heavy on some of that sensory stuff, um, mm-hmm. especially because most of these kids I would imagine are quite young. That could really benefit them to start there, you know, and, um, and just see what it might help to include some of these things in their environment. So I mm-hmm. love that. Yep. Sensory and yes baskets too. Yeah. I mean, also works for violence and aggression. Cause like we talked about, it's lowering those cortisol and, and adrenaline levels mm-hmm. for sure with the introduction of food. So there's a lot that can be mm-hmm. practically done there. Absolutely. Yep. Well, you have given us some extremely practical tips for addressing, you know, a few of the most common trauma behaviors. One question I had though, while listening to you speak is this, can foster and adoptive parents expect to reach a point with their children when they can take the same approach with their non-biological children that they take with their biological children. So I know every child and family dynamic is so different, but do you find that parents are able to eventually transition from this therapeutic parenting to an approach that is more heart probing and meant to acknowledge and deal with the sin in their own hearts? Absolutely. Yes. So the best way that I can answer this is to describe this like a gas tank or like the functioning really of your car. If you have not changed the oil in your car, you've never had a tune-up, and it has all of two ounces of gas in it, your car is not going to respond and react the way you want it to. It's going to be slow. It's going to be broken. It's not going to move at all. It's, it's just not going to be responsive to your commands. Now, you take that car, and you get the oil change, and you get a tune-up, and you fill that gas tank full of gas, your car is now going to respond and do what you need it to do. But it is a process, right? And the same can be true for the introduction of new children into our home. Their gas tanks are on empty. We simply cannot have the expectation of them to behave and respond and interact like their tanks are on full. Are we going to get them there? Yes. But it's little by little, day by day, each and every engagement matters. You know, if I told you right now to go and put a a bowl or a bucket underneath your kitchen sink and just sort of put your tap on drip, just so it was dripping very, very intermittently with water, You might go back to that bowl in an hour, look into it and say, there's like no water in there. But you leave that tap on drip and you go to bed tonight and you wake up tomorrow morning and you look in that bowl, you're going to see a little bit of water in there. And the reason for that is because every drop makes a difference. Every engagement that you have with your child towards this healing process makes a difference, but it's incremental, right? And oftentimes we can't see it day to day. So eyes fixed on the Lord, Mm -hmm. understanding the privilege and opportunity you have to impact a life. And we we walk through that with them together day by day. Mm. So good. Listeners, we'll be sure to include links in our show notes to some of the resources that Sonia recommends to help foster and adoptive parents in this really difficult and demanding role. Sonia, can you just share a few of your favorite resources from that list? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, Lifeline certainly has innumerable resources to that end. We have an entire counseling team across many states. We've got a parent coaching program. We've got Bridge Educational Support, which is designed to do both academic testing for your kids that have trauma or actually and further engagements in the school system themselves. We have conferences, monthly family education trainings. We tackle a variety of different topics relative to this population each month, all of which can be found at our website, lifelinechild.org. I would also say there's a few books I recommend, certainly The Connected Child by Dr. Karen Purvis, The Body Keeps the Score by Dr. Bessel van der Kolk, and The A to Z of Therapeutic Parenting by Sarah Naish. Again, listeners, we will include a full list of these excellent resources in our show notes. Well, now is the part of our show where we give a quick tip for parents. And today's quick tip is courtesy of Sonia. So what quick tip do you have for our listeners today? Adjust your expectations. <laughs> Good one. <laughs> I know when I entered into foster care and adoption, I went head first into this experience with the mindset of, well... I'm parenting four boys who love the Lord, they're obedient, they're doing well. I'll just bring all of my phenomenal parenting <laughs> wisdom <clears throat> into these children from trauma, and it will all be exactly the same. It didn't take me long to realize mm. that that simply does not work. So the more intentional you can be to be well-prepared, well-equipped, and have those expectations set for the service to the Lord, the better. That's fantastic. Well, listeners, if you have a quick tip for our show, we would love to hear from you. It can be any random tip about cooking, housekeeping, something you do with your kids, ideas for fun date nights with your spouse, anything at all. We would love to share your ideas on the podcast. Just go to gingerhubbard.com slash quick tips to submit those. Sonia, this has been an absolute joy just to hear the words of compassion for foster and adoptive children as well as uh, just the amazing parents who have opened their homes to these precious children. And so we so appreciate you taking time to be on with us again today and just to share your wisdom and experience with all of us. Uh, we would love it if you would leave us and our listeners with just a final word of encouragement. Sure. If I may, I'm going to tell you a little story that I was thinking on the other day. A couple of months ago, I was up in the Lifeline office, and I had come out of a meeting and was walking down the hallway, and about 10 feet in front of me, out popped Emily Newell, who is Herbie Newell's nine-year-old daughter. Herbie is our president and executive director of Lifeline, and Emily was in the office that day, and she didn't see me. I was, you know, quite a few feet behind her, but she just was happily skipping down the hallway, and she approached the threshold of her dad's office door. And the door was mostly closed. It was a little bit cracked. It turns out Herbie was in there meeting with our executive team. So here's an important man meeting with important people, doing important work for the Lord. And Emily, at that threshold, without hesitation, boldly flings that door open, happily skips through the office, and wraps her arms around her daddy's neck. Mm. And in that moment, I had such a picture of what was happening. Emily realized that she has access to her father. Mm. And do you know what that's modeling for her? It's modeling access to her father, mm -hmm. to her heavenly yes. father. And that was just such a beautiful, profound moment because you get that glimpse of the wide gap that these kids that are coming from such broken do not have. Not only do they not have an earthly father that they can skip over to and wrap their arms around his neck, but they don't know their heavenly father. 
And so the opportunity that is set before us and the call and command that's so clear in Scripture to step into this broken is incredibly profound. And I think to keep our focus on that is nothing but honoring to the Lord. Mm. So good. Thank you so much, Sonia and Ginger, and thank you listeners for joining us. If you enjoyed our show and want to hear more, please subscribe to our podcast wherever you're listening. And while you're there, can you leave us a rating or a review? This is a great help to us to get the word out about our podcast so that other parents can be encouraged to reach the hearts of their children. Do you have a parenting question? Well, we invite you to submit it at gingerhubbard.com slash askginger, and we'll do our best to answer it in a future episode. And while you're on the website, you can find our show notes, which will include links to anything we mentioned in today's episode. Also on gingerhubbard.com, you can find Ginger's wonderful resources that will help you get to the heart of outward behavior and address it from a biblical perspective. Today, we're offering a 10% discount on her audio series, Reaching the Heart of Your Child, which is available in CD format or as a digital download. This three-session series is based on the content of Ginger's best-selling parenting book, Don't Make Me Count to Three, and it addresses topics such as how to reach the heart of your child, how to give a biblical reproof, and the biblical use of the rod. This digital download is perfect for our international listeners because there are no shipping costs, and if you enter the code parenting at gingerhubbard.com, you can get 10% off. If you'd like daily encouragement and parenting advice from Ginger, be sure to follow her on Instagram at ginger.hubbard. Speaking of encouragement, Ginger is now offering live stream presentations for MOPs, mothers of preschoolers, and other moms groups. So for more information, have your group coordinator fill out the contact form at gingerhubbard.com. Thank you so much for joining us today. We look forward to being with you again next week. Until then, may God bless you as you seek to reach the hearts of your children for the glory of God.